Hello, everyone, and welcome to the round one edition of Bombercast for 2023. I am your regular co-host, The Grizz, and joining me today is not Bonser, who is a laid out. Instead, I have another host of a podcast called Don the Stat. He's co-host on and also creator of Endless Summers, the Test Cricket History of Australia. I've got a regular poster on the Essendon board, Kip Tastic. Kip, how are you going after that week one? Well, I'm feeling even better now after that fantastic intro. Thanks for that, Grizz, and, and thanks for having me on. Bombercast was out where I actually got my start. You guys allowed me to come on and fill in for a few weeks a couple of years back, and that's sort of where this all began. So a lot of thanks to you and Bonsa for giving me a chance, and yeah, things are going well on my end, but it's just really nice to get off to a positive start to the season for once. Uh, last time we had an emphatic win like that in round one was back in 2014 against North Melbourne, where I think we won by around 40 points. So just nice to have one of those great starts to a season where so often we've had not so great starts. Yeah. <laughs> I half expected to lose this week, just knowing that we, for whatever reason, tend to start season slow uh, as a general rule. But if you miss the game on the weekend um, or you've been living under the rock for the last two days, uh, the Essendon Football Club beat the Hawthorne Hawks or the Dorks, depending on who you want to call them, 124 to 65. It was a... a a worrying first quarter, but um, as soon as the second, the bounce, uh, the ball was bouncing in the second quarter, it sort of and ran away with it. I think he eight straight goals at one point to basically put the matter uh, beyond doubt before quarter time. With such a lopsided game and against an opposition that was so poor, and we'll get to that later, I think, in the other stuff. Plenty of good stuff to get around. What was one of the, the big positives you took out of the game, Kit? Look, just from a fan perspective, my, my biggest takeaway was just how fun it was. I know not every game is going to be like that. And we obviously all had that initial pessimism based off past history and the St Kilda practice match performance. Uh, so we were, a lot of fans were going to that game as you were worrying about what the result would be. But, you know, from that second quarter, the fears just drained away and I could just take it all in and enjoy it. There was a lot to enjoy, obviously. Davies' goal, uh, Ridley's first goal, uh, Setterfield and Wiedemann's first games to the club. Obviously, everything around Tipper. It was just a fun day to be at the footy. Not so fun for my Hawthorne mate I was sitting with, but they've had plenty of happy days in recent years, so who cares? Yeah, I'm not, I'm not feeling at all sorry for Hawthorne supporters um, of all the people I can think of. It, I was amazed to hear that was Ridley's first goal. I could have sworn he had kicked one earlier, but good for him, 65 days in. Not quite the, what, the Nathan Grimer, what was it? 80 something odd games in before he kicked his first goal. But good on your Redders. Uh, uh, yeah, on Ridley, sorry. But um, the, the thing I wanted to look for in round one, and it was really important for me, was to see how we structured up differently, um, to see whether the intensity and the pressure that had been talked about all preseason were there. The first quarter was a bit of a worry, as we discussed, but I think in the second, well, second quarter and, the, and particularly in the second half, we did a really good job of denying Hawthorne what they wanted, which was to attack through the middle of the ground. Hawthorne plays a really aggressive game style under Sam Mitchell. But we we denied them the center of the ground, forced them wide, and our forward pressure was enough to put heat on the kicks that were continually rebounding it off our half-back line pretty easily. Now, opposition granted, we weren't you know playing the 12, 13, 14 Hawks. But I think the fact that there was a clear identifiable structure of midfielders folding back to the middle, the defenders holding their space, 
one of Zerk or Laverde playing the anchor basically at true fullback to make sure no one got out the back, which was a major problem for us last year. It looked like some level of growth in that area. Yeah, no, no doubt. I think I'm I'm sort of in two minds about what the game means. I, I know you, you've brought up the opposition and I think it was pointed out by Lee Montagna on one of the Sunday night Fox shows that Hawthorne's game was the lowest pressure rated game by anyone since 2021. I mean, we weren't really challenged from a contested sense and how well those defensive structures would handle a more contested game. And I think when we start to look at the Suns, that that might be something we'll, we'll have to consider. In terms of the, the structures, though, on the other hand, if you think about the one strength that Hawthorne have, it's their intercepting and rebounding half back line. Obviously, they've got Sicily there, CJ, uh, Will Day. You know, they're quite effective from that area. And as you said, they really want to attack through the middle. But, you know, other really than CJ's run and goal, we managed to nullify that for most of the day. And if you think back to last year, you know, people were just waltzing through. Uh, we all remember the, the last play in the Collingwood game there in terms of how things things were just let past. So my overall takeaways really is I'm cautiously optimistic, but as you sort of say, we need to see it happen more times and against better opposition before we can say it's a, it's a trend or and a pattern that's going to be successful going forward. Yeah, and, and I think um, we've got the Gold Coast this week who will be smarting after getting a similar beating that Hawthorne did at the hands of Sydney. There's probably no shame there. Sydney looks to be a really good team again, but they'll be smarting. And then I think we've got St Kilda and GWS in the next two weeks. So St Kilda will be St Kilda and Gold Coast at least will be a tougher test to see whether that uh, structure holds up. Just touching on the midfield, there was a lot of talk about what this midfield will look like, the cap or the ceiling on it with Parrish and Merritt and Shield as, as your first sort of rotation. They had their colours lowered in that first quarter. I think it's safe to say. I think Warple and a young Josh Ward had their way really at the back half of that first quarter. But it was really interesting to see, particularly for the rest of the game, second quarter and second half, the the endeavour by guys like Merritt, like Setterfield, like Parrish and Shield. I think Parrish had probably his best game for 18 months. That was far more damaging with the football as he's ever been, really. You know, he's kicking inside 50. You know, he kicks it like a, a deranged mule when he kicks it inside 50. There's no real <laughs> sort of rhyme or reason about it. But around the ground, he's fine. And yeah, Merritt was back to his tackling best. I thought the midfield was what we wanted to see sort of pre through pre-season, but we didn't. But at least they showed up in the second half of you know Sunday's game. Yeah, we obviously saw the introduction of Setterfield there. And I think we're, we're going to talk about him a bit more specifically later on and what that added. So he, he was leading the way in tackles and obviously did quite well in, in the contested possession part of the game as well. But as you sort of say, Parrish was the standout and you, you sort of made the point already. But the most pleasing thing for me was he had more kicks than handballs. If you go back to what he was doing in the last couple of seasons that he's been playing as a full-time mid, he's always had more handballs than kicks. And so I know we all get frustrated with his delivery into the forward line at times, but when you now have pressure forwards like we do, you know, territory can be just as valuable as opposed to, you know, handing handballing around, trying to find the perfect outlet or the short kicks there. So the new structure of the forward line might benefit Darcy in that sense, in, in making him a more effective player and encouraging him to kick more. Because if they, you know, as long as it's not marked by an opposition player, it's either marked by an Essendon player or our small forwards can, you know, put the pressure on, lock it in and get another opportunity through a, a stoppage situation. So I think overall that's a pleasing thing. I hope that will continue throughout the rest of the year. And then obviously Merritt was fantastic and showed how to work through a tag 
Obviously, McGuinness had his measure in the first half, but mm. Merritt torched him in the second half. So it's just it's just a case of Merritt outrunning a younger player. Um, so there'll, there'll probably be taggers in the competition that may be able to go with Merritt for a lot longer. But they highlighted on the coverage when I went back and watched the replay how Merritt was always taking him to dangerous players of Hawthorne. So he's taking him next to Warpole, he's taking him next to Newcomb and making McGuinness think about what he should be doing now and thinking, you know, do I have to go cover a player that's free now? So I think they obviously showed a lot of smarts from Merritt. He's obviously had a lot of experience trying to work through a tag like that. And I would say that he's he's getting a lot better at doing it than he was, say, even a couple of years ago. And then obviously him as a, him as a leader, his, his first game as, as full-time captain, he showed a lot of things that you want from your on-field leader. You know, he was chasing and tackling. He was hard at it. And then he was looking to bring his other players into it, obviously, a highlight of that was how he kept looking for Tipper when Tipper came on. And then even when he was down in the second quarter, Shield stood up. You know, Shield didn't have his biggest game, but when Merritt was being taken out of the game in the second quarter, Shield really stood up. And that's what you need from a midfield. You need when your best players are down on performance, you need other players to stand up. So overall, really happy there. As as if we sort of alluded to a lot, the quality of what they were going up to wasn't fantastic. And they sort of went away from the second half of the second quarter for the rest of the game in terms of midfield, their ability to compete in the midfield. So, you know, I think a lot a lot of the things that we're going to talk about tonight, there's going to be a lot of caveats about, you know, we've got to see it for, for longer and, you know, the opposition was crap and, and all that. So, yeah. Yeah, I think Hawthorne, if nothing else, have plenty of quality inside midfielders. So Warple and Newcomb, and Josh Ward, I think, is a really talented young player. But we beat them in the clearances, which, and I think we beat them in contested possession as well. Um, so that's Hawthorne's strength. That's how they like to get their game going. So the fact that we we beat much bigger bodies um, showed the the group working as a team. And I think Brad Scott's comments about merit this week, or I think it was just before the game, about how they want him to lead by example and and understand that not everyone's as talented as Zach Merritt <laughs> and you can't be demanding the level of excellence he has from everyone, but you can demand the effort and lead by example. And I thought him taking McGuinness to Warple in that 3v1 showed a level of selflessness that we haven't seen from Merritt or really anyone in our midfield or in our team for a while. You're right, he got back in the game through chasing and tackling that tackle on, I think it was John Newcomb at the start of the second quarter, you know, buried him dead to right. A, a great step in the right direction. And if I'm going to transition to steps in the right direction, I think the best player, if, you, if you're going to talk about the best players on the field, I think if you're not going to pick Parrish, Archie Perkins was probably next in line. He seemed to be playing the stringer role, which was more, uh, you know, that bigger medium forward that pushed up into stoppages and then burst forward and there was a dangerous marking target mismatch deep. I, I think you know, he's not going to kick, you know, kick 3-3 three, three every game and have, you know, 15 posies every game. But that's the type, like those sorts of players, you can always find players that, what was it, 20, yeah, 20 disposals, three goals. Like you can always find players that can find touches around the midfield. Finding guys that can, you know, have six scoring shots in 18, 20 possessions and just cause headaches against medium defenders and push up into the midfield and play high half forward, they're invaluable. Like we've been, we talk about, you know, Stringer and how valuable he is as that midfielder that pushes up and bursts forward and the mismatch he creates. I think Archie Perkins could be that as well. And I was just really, you know, sort of wrapped with how he played against Hawthorne. 
I was interested to see how they would use him. So they've given him some center bounce exposure in the practice games. I think he had about eight center bounce attendances against St Kilda. But I, I agree. I think happy to use him in that high half forward role as a link-up player. What was pleasing for me was not only was his delivery into the forward line exquisite, I think that perfectly weighted kick to Jones was, it in, in another game, that might also might almost be my highlight of the game. It was that good. But he also got into dangerous positions forward. And I, he probably should have kicked five goals, I think, if, if we're fair. He does seem to have a bit of a chink in his armour where he's not the most accurate kick for goal yet. I think the other thing really is that he's just impossible to tackle, isn't he? There was that yeah. so his second... His second no, his first goal, sorry, where the Hawthorne player was just sort of swinging off him as as Perkins kept his feet and managed to swing around for the goal. Um, means he can create things from nothing. Um, I know there's a lot of talk about amongst Essendon fans about what his best position is. And I know we all sort of want him to move into the midfield at some stage, but with the midfielders we have fit at the moment, there's a as you say, there's a lot to be said about a quality ball user delivering into the forward line. Maybe it's something where they ramp up his midfield minutes later in the season. I almost think he would have to go back to the VFL to learn how to do that properly. And I think we've got the VFL set up now where you potentially could send him back for a couple of weeks if that's what you wanted him to be going forward. But yeah, if, if he's going to perform like that in that role, we're going to be a very dangerous side. I'm not sure I want him to be a full-time midfielder. And that's probably going to be a really unpopular opinion. But I just think with Hobbs, with Caldwell, with Sartis, Merritt and Parrish aren't, you know, old players. I think midfielders that can accumulate and particularly power midfielders like, you know, Sartis and, and Caldwell, we've got enough of those guys. We've got guys that can find possessions. That that medium forward that can have 15 to 20 touches and kick and have five scoring shots. You know, the shy Boltons of the world, you know, the Paddy Dangerfields when he was playing forward last year as opposed to full-time mid until the finals. Those sorts of guys are invaluable. Like we saw what Stringer does for us when he's fit. And I'm sort of torn on whether I want him to be a full-time mid because I just think that type of player is so incredibly rare. But I suppose we'll see how he, you know, how it plays out. I I anticipate by the end of the year, you're probably right in that he'll be playing full-time midfield minutes one way or the other. Um, it'll just be sort of where he fits in. And, and we can't really talk about the good stuff about Sunday without talking about two guys in particular. We'll start with Alan Davy Jr., who made his debut on the weekend, made us wait for his first goal and not not without trying. He had a couple of, of misses. One didn't make the distance from 40 out and the other one was a, a snap on a kick on the run where he probably could have just run into the goal square. But watching him kick his first goal and I was great but I also think just he did his job lots of pressure he, he was up around half back at times so he clearly has the work rate required already for an AFL forward um I was just more impressed more than excited I thought it, he looked like a guy who'd been playing for you know 1500 games already how good is it having pressure forwards again obviously <laughs> Menzi as well you know we, yeah. we spent the last year with with Guelphie and then a cameo from from Tex for a couple of games and, and Snelling came back and, and clearly wasn't ready to go. Uh, Menzi was drafted mid-season and, you know, played a couple of games, but it just makes such a difference to a side. As as you, as you said, just the level of performance that, that Davey did, you know, he, he wasn't best on ground, but he was running all over the ground. And he was doing that right to the end of the game, you know, so his fitness is there to play AFL. It's, it's not just a token, let's get, let's get some excitement out there for the fans. He was 100% ready to play and deserved his spot in that side. And I think you talk about his presence in the forward line, his tackling, I think he's already got that sense of inferred pressure that his old man had and, and Tipper has 
where if he's in the area, opposition players start to get a bit more rushed with their execution. And obviously the the crowd plays a big part in that, you know, starting to ramp up an excitement. It starts to, I imagine that would start to play in the mind of the, the person with the ball. So him just in the area already creates extra opportunities from just that pressure that, that he puts on. Obviously there's still a long way to go and, you know, the early misses, I'm sure, were just nerves. I think I said before the show, I was carrying on like Dean Boxall at the Tokyo Olympics for that one that <laughs> fell short. I was up and out of my seat cheering. Um, and then I was like, why, why isn't they celebrating? And then, oh, it's fallen short. So that was me. But, was, you know, just to see him kick his first, you know, outside 50 again, you know, not necessarily something you would have thought he could have done. But it was a great moment. And I'm sure it's the first of what I expect to be many goals for Essendon going forward. Yeah. And I know I... This shouldn't be where my brain goes, but I'm like, we've got another Davy just just coming. He he's he's getting his knee right. Um, and if if he's the pressure forward that Allen is, I know Allen probably has greater scope than midfield according to the draft experts around. But if Jaden can be that, like having those two and Tipper and Tex, hopefully somewhere in the forward line would be super exciting. But I think we can't like final the final sort of good thing or exciting thing we were talking about is probably the greatest feel good story of the week and it might be the best feel feel good story of the year and the Tommy Round one, um, Anthony McDonald tipping Woody arguably the most popular Essendon player in history like is that too big a call I'm not sure I think he would be right up there but he obviously I- made his return after eighteen months away. Um, kicked the goal, had everyone excited, but I think someone said the soul return to Essendon on the weekend would tip it back, in, and I, I tend to agree. Yeah, I don't think I've ever heard a more rapturous set of applause for one player at the MCG in my life. Uh, it wasn't wasn't Laz, you know. I've heard the MCG. I think that was probably Stark bowling McCullum in the World Cup final. <laughs> but as soon as as soon as people realised that he was coming on, there was just this sense of joy radiating. It was like a Mexican wave where people. You know, as people start to realise, you could just feel it coming across the ground, and just the level of applause as, as he ran onto the ground was in, was insane. And you, you you saw Hawthorne fans, you know, participating as well. And I think it sort of alludes to what you said there that he's probably the most popular Essen player of all time because I don't think there's any opposition fans that, at the very least, don't like him. Like, and a lot of them do love him. And then the goal was just fairy tale like. Uh, I don't know if you saw, but the club put out a great video compiling fan vision of the moment. Yeah, um, that was great. That yeah. was fantastic. It's just great to have him back, as you say. Is he part of the the soul and the culture? And you know, just as we were talking about before, with all the young small forwards coming through, the young Indigenous talent on the list. You know, having someone like him back as a role model in and of itself is going to be a real big positive going forward. And whatever we get out of him as a player, he's going to be really a bonus in my mind. I suspect he doesn't play next week. I think. I don't, mm. I, think he can, I don't think he can pull out AFL game at this stage. Mm. And I, I would say, you know, a full game or managed minutes in the VFL is more preferable than another game as an AFL sub. But he clearly hasn't lost any of the skill or craft that he had in his year off. So, yeah, lots to look forward to, I think. Yeah, I, I would agree that I don't think he probably plays AFL level this week. And only because I think he needs full game time to get fit on top of whatever his training load is. But... I think they made the right call in bringing him in to start the season, to start the season on a good note, give the fans something to smile about after what's been a pretty tough off-season and a pretty tough 18 months. But in talking about tough 18 months, we we do have to talk about the opposition. And we won't touch on them briefly because this isn't a Hawthorne podcast. I think they're in for a tough 18 months going forward, probably even longer. They were bad. 
And this was, I found out after the game, this was their 83 reunion. Um, so yep. what's that, 40 years since 83 when they won the flag against us? They wouldn't have had much fun, I don't think, those boys. But, uh, yeah, they were bad. And I think oh, as much as we're excited by the scoreline, you know, I, I'm not entirely sure how much we take out of the game. And um, if you're playing Hawthorne twice this year, you'd be pumped. Be like playing, you know, North or West Coast twice last year. Yeah, you sort of, you sort of thinking, right? Here we go. This is this is two bonus wins and and some extra percentage there. Look, you can only play who's who's in front of you, and fortunately for us, we 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 drew Hawthorne. I think that I don't think it was fortunate. Actually, I'm sure Hawthorne actually requested that they play <laughs> Essendon in round one. Uh, good luck to you. Well done. Um, <laughs> I think the other thing that a lot of people w- were focused on. You know, given Hawthorne was so bad, was that second half of the first quarter where Hawthorne did kick four goals, and it really came down to Hawthorne being on top in the midfield. And as as you pointed out earlier, they do have some good inside midfielders, and a lot of it was was driven by by clearance from from Warple and and the other players in that centre square for Hawthorne. But, you know, the majority of clubs are going to come out hard in round one. Essendon last year is obviously an exception to that rule. So you're never going to have full control of, of a game, I would imagine. There's always going to be some momentum shifts shifts throughout. I think the more important thing from an Essendon perspective from that is that going into quarter time, they obviously adjusted and responded after quarter time and then didn't let up. So if you look, the game was put away in the, in the second and third quarters where Essendon kicks 11 goals to one. So in my mind, the fact that they responded to what Hawthorne brought was the most pleasing aspect. You know, if, if this is a, a 20 point win and, and we kick three goals right at the end of the game just to to pull away, I'm a lot more concerned about where we're at. Mm. But I think the dominance through the, through the middle of the game when the match was obviously there to be won is probably the most pleasing element. Yeah, and I think it's just good to start the season with some momentum. When you start with a, we, we saw it last year, when you start with a 10 to 12 goal loss, it can really spiral the start of your season. We, I, I don't think we ever truly recovered from that Geelong loss, um, to be honest, and not until mid-year and we had the buy. So it's just good to get off to a, uh, a good start regardless of the opposition, but that does have to be taken into account in terms of what we take out of it. Um, we can't cover everything in a game review. So we, a little segment I like to do keep is called like it, don't like it, which is I give you a statement or you give me a statement and you tell me whether or not you like it or not um, and whether or not you agree with it. So I'll give you the first one uh, and I'll give you the, um, the clean uh, red rock uh, to start with. And that's it. Like it, don't like it. Setterfield, Will Setterfield is this year's Peter Wright. Hmm. I like it. I think it'll be similar to Peter Wright's first year with us. He wasn't a Peter Wright wasn't a superstar for us in, in his first year, and it took a little time for him to come into his own and feel confident as an Essendon player. I think Setterfield is probably going to be the same. He's going to be finding his way. I think the fact that he is going to have a role for him that that he's been brought in for that he hasn't been able to play consistently at his, his past two clubs is going to benefit him. Um, so he may even come on faster than Peter Wright did. He may, you know, halfway through this year, he might be the level that Peter Wright was at last year. So I like it. I'm surprised it wasn't Sam Wiedemann as the comparison there. Um, <laughs> obviously, he he had a good little patch there in the second quarter and presented well through the day as well. So I think at the very least, we will have two serviceable players that will 
help fill fill holes in the side until potentially others come through or you know they do do a peter right and become you know a, a high level afl player yeah no i think um i think the comparisons there in terms of you know a distressed asset from another club that fills a, a clear position of need and that has pedigree and i think Will said if he had a good start, what, 25 disposals, five marks, led the entire game in tackles with six. It was a promising start, kicked a goal. I think him being in the midfield just clearly defined roles for everyone else. So instead of, you know, throwing Merritt and Shield and Parrish to the big boys at the bottom of the pack, he did a lot of good work clearing it out. And Sam Durham as well, I noticed, was going into midfield a bit more. And he's... Um, you could spend 10 minutes on Sam Durham. What a pickup. I'll give you the next one as well. Kip... Like it, don't like it. Sam Draper forward is the key to locking the unlocking the forward line, sorry, with no Peter Wright this season. I don't know if he's the key, but I think he might be the X factor. I think you saw how panicked Hawthorne player defenders were when he was in the area going going for marks. His first goal came from that free kick because the Hawthorne player was obviously concerned about him. He's still inconsistent. He's, you know... I think he was probably beaten in the ruck, mm-hmm. straight straight out in the ruck yet last weekend. And was he as impactful around the ground as I would like him to be? Probably not. But he's just, he's an aerial threat and he makes defenders worried. He's not, he's not going to replace Peter Wright, but he's going to cause some damage. I think, I think there's a potential four goal game for him at some stage this year, just when he, it all sort of clicks and he, and with the support of a extra Ruckman like uh, Phillips or if Brian comes in, then he could do things like that. But I don't think it's going to be on a consistent basis. He probably should have had four goals on the weekend. He had, he kicked two. I think he had one <laughs> Menti stole off him, um, which I'm sure uh, Sammy will have something to say about it training this week. Um, but I, I quite liked it. Um, but I, I think Peter uh, Andrew Phillips sorry, probably doesn't play this week. I'm going to be interesting to see how they go with that relief ruck and forward line structure role. Did you have one I, for me, Kit? I do have one for you, and it's another interesting one. It's probably the biggest positional change that we saw in, on the weekend's game, and that's Langford as a back. Do you like it or don't like it? I'm torn. So I, I noted this in the game day thread that – his second half was really good. So his ball use, which is probably his biggest strength, I think, his ball use around the ground but also kicking for goal is actually quite good, borderline elite. And his kicking off halfback, his ability to find targets around um, going forward was really helpful. And he's a good enough mark that he was at least um, intercepting a bit as well. I don't know how much of that was he was feeling heppel's role so heppel normally plays that sort of defensive wingman um that drops back and intercepts and picks up you know redmond's rant so what i could tell as far as i could tell was redmond would stream forward get involved in the play and langford as a defensive winger would rock back and pick up his man i don't mind that um but i i would prefer him forward a center for those reasons i think we had some issues kicking inside forward 50 on the weekend and he's one of the few guys that can hit targets consistently though in a long-winded answer i don't mind it as a change of look something that we throw at throw at teams just to confuse them or to shake things up if he's not in the game i think we, we spoke about perkins earlier and i think there's also nick martin nick martin had a few good kicks into the forward line his ability to kick into the forward line 
Langford might not be as necessary as maybe it once was. You know, we've got other options to play that role. And I get I get the sense that Langford is there sort of as a placeholder for Nick Cox from sort of the mm. things I've been hearing from Brad Scott. Uh, it seems like that's the role they're set aside for Cox. So I would say that once Cox is fit and ready to go, then that he maybe takes Langford's spot in that role. And then, you know, Langford either has to find another role in the side or he's playing VFL, which hurts me because I, I really like Kyle Langford. I think, as, as you say, I think he's a really good forward. We saw, I think, the Brisbane game last year was really effective uh, and dangerous as a forward. So, yeah, but I think... I think he's just a placeholder at the moment in that spot for for Nick Cox. I think that's an interesting point. And I think if Cox does come back and, and that's Langford's spot, I think Langford's spot, is, I think Langford probably fills the spot of the, the guy we're about to speak about now. Like it, don't like it, Kit. Dyson Heppel is no longer best 22. When I've done my best 22s, 23s preseason, he's always been right. Like, like I've had him as a sub a lot. And when you put, you know, we have it when in the fantasy world, we have everyone available struggling to find the best spot for him. I think mm. at the moment, he's sort of filling that third winger spot. I, I think you sort of mentioned Langer was, Langer's was the defensive winger. I, I tend to think he was playing as the seventh defender, which was when they didn't pick Massimo, it was, it was hard to say who that seventh defender was. And I think they've got Heppel as a winger. Uh, along with Martin and Durham. So Heppel's sort of playing that third rotation there. As you sort of said, I think that's potentially the spot for Langford. I, I really rate Langford as, as a winger. Some of the things that he did in 2020 and 2021 were really good on the wing, and I think that's a really good spot for him. So if everyone's fit, I tend to like it. At the moment, I think he deserves his spot, if that makes sense. No, I, I think that makes sense. And I've... Early in the first, so in the back end of that second quarter, the the people who make a sport of crucifying Dyson Heppel were out in force, as if it was somehow Dyson Heppel's spot fault that we we're getting smashed in clearances. I think it's very clear that he is physically cooked. I don't, I don't think anyone is arguing that point. There were points in the game where multiple Hawthorne players were just sort of running past him from a standing start. That's a problem. You're going to get exposed against a good team if you've got somebody who can't run. I think he. He's there because we are an exceptionally young team outside of our midfield. And you're right, there are a bunch of injuries. I would be my, my theory with Heppel is that he'll probably start best 22, but I would be shocked if he's in the team come round 16. Um, I think once we get 15 or 16 games into the team, into all these guys like Perkins and guys like Durham and Martin, and just another half a season, two thirds of a season into them that experience will become less, will be providing diminishing returns. And that might be when he sort of bows out of the team um, and just become depth. And the fact he's no longer a captain sort of helps that. But um, it pains me to say, because I think I'm one of the last people on Apple Island. Cool. So now what we're going to do is we're going to move on to some off-field stuff. Injuries, obviously the big <laughs> news this past week was the news that about four hours after signing a, a four-year contracted extension, um, Peter Wright's gone down with a dislocated shoulder. Uh, Damien Barrett reported on Sunday that there might be more complications than first thought. Specifically, there might be some damage to the bone where the dislocated occurred. And we're looking probably at 16 to 20 weeks. 
which for us might be the season depending on finals outcomes. It's a big, big toll kip. And I suppose my thoughts is what do you think this meets, means for Peter uh, for the year? Do you think he might come back? And what do you think this means for us as the club? Well, from all reports, he sounds like one of the most professional players on the list. So if anyone's going to make it back and do all the rehab and the work, it's going to be someone like Peter. I think it's fair to say that, you know, despite being on top of the ladder right now, we're not winning the flag this year. I don't think there's many people who would consider that a realistic opportunity. And we know that Brad Scott is trying to learn about the list. And I think Peter Wright, based on last year's, is one of the players that we're most certain about going forward. So given that he comes back strong from his injury and he picks up where he left off last year, I think this is one of those times where it's an opportunity to find out more about the other players on the list. Obviously, Sam Wiedemann and Harry Jones had the opportunity this week. You know, people are getting really excited about what Patrick Voss could bring based on what he's been doing in the VFL practice matches. So I'm not overly concerned about it at this stage. I think it will give this match committee and the like more knowledge about what other players are capable of. And it may even make us more unpredictable. You know, if we've got Peter Wright in the forward line, that's who the majority of our players are looking for. Without him there, suddenly we have more avenues we might go through to score and that make it, might make it harder for teams to defend against us. Yeah, I, I, I think... It's never a good. It's never a good thing. I think in a, in isolation when you're 50 goal a year forward it goes down with a, a near season injury. But I think yeah, we'd probably just get to deal with it, and we'll probably see Sam Wiedemann and Harry Jones and guys like Voss and maybe Baldwin play bigger roles than we thought they would at least to start the year. But them's a break, so I suppose. You know, season long injuries happen, and uh, we'll just have to figure it out without big point. Into other injury news, Ben Hobbs returned to play in the VFL practice match on the weekend. So you'd imagine he's available for selection at some point in the near future. Nick Cox and back read, uh, Zach Reed, sorry, uh, Freudian slip back read because he's out with a back. Uh, and they're probably both a couple of months away. Stringer's probably the only one that's a test for this week against the Gold Coast. Otherwise, they're a bunch of long-termers. Um, can you see maybe a Hobbs or a Stringer coming into to, into the team this week? Or do you think, you know, you don't want to be changing a 10-goal winning side all that much? Well, I, as I said, I expect Tipper goes out. And then that, whether you then maybe rotate Davey to the sub, you know, just to not overwork him in, in his first day of our season. And that opens up a spot for, say, a Guelphie or, or a Snelling uh, there. I don't see Hobbs coming back yet. And I think it's really important that he's playing well in the VFL to put pressure on you know your shields and your parishes and the like there. Stringer's the interesting one. I, I'm struggling to see how they'll go about getting Stringer. I think you sort of hinted that you don't think Phillips will play, and I'm guessing that's where you think Stringer would be able to make his way back into the side. It sounds like they want to make him earn it in the sense that they're not. it's not just, yay, Jake's basically fit, let's get him in. Yeah, I, I, I would caution against that because history says when we do that, he breaks down pretty quickly. Uh, I think the season's long enough that, if Jake takes an extra two or three weeks to get into the season at VFL level to ramp him up, that's going to be better for us long-term. I just think Phillips, you know, got beaten pretty comprehensively in the ruck against Lloyd Meek and uh, Ned Moyle. Um, so coming up against, you know, borderline Australian in Jared Witts, they might go off. We're not going to 
you know, level the rut contest, we might as well throw Wiedemann in there for 10 minutes to get 10 minutes, you know, five, 10 minutes a quarter and at least have something around the ground. Uh, I don't know who comes in. Maybe it's a Voss. Um, maybe it's uh, Kane Baldwin gets swung forward. I'm I'm not entirely sure, but I think there might be a change there with Phillips. We'll, we'll get to a preview of the Gold Coast game in a minute. But before we do that, the other off-field thing we, we have to talk about, I think it would be remiss not to, is the story that broke... I think it was originally Sam McClure, but um, Tom Brown probably made it more mainstream on Thursday. The report of a rift between Adrian Dodoro, shock horror, and someone within the football department being Josh Marnie. <laughs> the report stated that um, Adrian Dodoro and Brad Scott had gone from reporting to Marnie to reporting to new CEO Craig Vozzo directly, and that Josh Marnie was taking more of a hands-on role in the AFLW off-season at the moment and that GM of performance, I think it is. Daniel McPherson was taking more of an operational role over the AFL men's team to start the year, and this was causing friction between Josh Marnie, the club, and Adrian Dodoro. I don't know if I've missed anything there with the reporting. It was a big thing on Footy Classified last night. I know Big Footy was a light with the the possibility that Dodoro or Marnie might be at the door today or, or yesterday, but it's really disappointing in my eyes, Kip, that we're now five months post what happened towards the end of last year and this isn't resolved and I, I, I'll i start with getting your view on it. Where do you stand on <laughs> um, the, the Vozzo-Dodoro rift, I suppose, from what you may know through the media or otherwise? The Marnie-Dodoro rift? Yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll, we'll I, start there because that's the big story, I suppose. So obviously Marnie did the internal review and I imagine he probably wasn't very complimentary of Dodoro. And Dodoro, you know, is obviously very territorial about his his space and role at the club. And, you know, I, I don't want to have a debate about how effective he is because I think we can go around in circles hmm. on that. So I would su- suspect that's it. Obviously, both men have their backers within the club. You know, I think it's pretty common knowledge that Sheedy is right behind Dodoro. I'm guessing that Byram is probably supportive of Marnie, given he got Marnie to run the review over the postseason. I think the other thing just to be aware, aware of is though that Vozzo only really started two months ago. He's still learning about the place. And just because a decision hasn't been made yet doesn't mean that he's not taking into account everything. And I think everything I've heard about him is that he's an excellent operator in terms of AFL environments. And I think he's Hopefully he's just getting all the information he needs so he can make the correct decision for the football club going forward. I'm not overly concerned. I think there's there's a few people in in the media that have this as a bit of a, they're like a bit of a dog with a bone. You know, they, they just won't let it go. You know, Essendon off season. I think Barrett continually bringing up Sheedy still being on the board. Like Damien Barrett knows anything about how football clubs are run. Yeah, I'm not overly concerned at the moment. It's just noise to me at the moment, I think if this sort of thing continues across the whole season, then probably more concerned that Fozzo hasn't made a decision, but I think give him time to work out what the club needs going forward. Cause I think his experience at West coast, you know, another big club with probably a lot of big egos, he probably knows what he needs to do to manage that situation. And maybe that, that both of those, both of those people get let go. And we, we find new people to fill those roles. Yeah, I, I'm not so worried about Craig Vozzo. Uh, for the reasons you said that he he's only really had his feet under the desk since January. And I think him 
having Brad Scott and Adrian Dodoro report to him directly just two things. One, it, it probably sort of at least until he can understand what's going on, alleviates the tension between Dodoro and Marnie. But more importantly, I think it, if there is something untoward about Marnie and, and Dodoro, he'll have a clearer line of sight of what that is if they're reporting to him directly as opposed to Dodoro reporting to him via Marnie and him not knowing whether it's just Marnie blueing with him or Dodoro actually doing something. Yeah, Bonter and I have had the debate about Dodoro multiple times on this podcast. I understand you don't want to have it. I think, you know, he's probably both overrated and underrated depending on who you talk to. So he's probably properly rated, but that proper rating is that, you know, the club hasn't had much success over the last 20 years and whatever part he has in that, um, it's still a part and the rest of the club has seemed to turn over consistently. And so at some point that has to turn over as well. I don't know whether that's the case now or in the future, but the, the bigger thing for me, Kip, is the disappointing element that this, this tension was reportedly there last year. And it stemmed from Marnie being pretty critical of recruiting as part of the internal review that was done mid-year, which was obviously the review that got half the board ousted. And the fact we've got to this point and that, you know, they're obviously functional. They got in the room to re-sign Peter Wright for four years. But the fact that this hasn't been resolved to some extent, you know, was that seven, eight months on, it's at least a little bit concerning, isn't it? I guess, I, as you said, I'm not, as I said before, I'm not overly worried at this stage I just think give Vozo time, give Vozo time to work out what needs to happen. And as I said, if if things are still this way in two or three months, then I'd be more concerned about it. I think there's a lot of change going on at the club. There's, there's something to be said about stability in certain roles at this stage while Brad Scott gets settled, while his team gets settled, and then you can start making those moves at a later date. That's a perfectly rational point. And I think that's rationality is um, highly underrated when it comes to Essen, uh, uh, not just Essendon, but football clubs in general. <laughs> so we'll we'll move now to a quick preview of the Gold Coast game. A little bit about the opposition. Obviously, Gold Coast were absolutely pantsed last week by the Sydney Swans, um, a similar beating that we gave out to Hawthorne. Stuart Jew was notably disappointed. It was a 49-point loss. And they'll be smarting. They'll be coming out. I think it's I think it's up at the Gold Coast, if I'm correct. No, so, where it's Marvel. Is that Marvel? Oh, yep. I, stand, I stand corrected. So Gold Coast don't tend to travel well. <laughs> What's your views on this game? And, and do you think what are the chances are that we go, you know, 2-0 and to start the year, which is, you know, a, a real chance at this point? I agree. I think it's a, a real big chance. Gold Coast play a different game to Hawthorne. Really focus on that contested ball, uh, winning clearances, Obviously, they've got wits there and they've got quite strong inside midfielders, obviously, Took, uh, Raul and Anderson. And then they've got their, those big key forwards of Chole and Casbolt and King. And they've obviously moved Lukosius down there as well. So the way I see this game playing out is I think Essendon actually have two opportunities to win this game in terms of playing. Obviously, if they can get on top in the middle, I think they win the game. I don't think the Gold Coast half-back line is as effective as, as at intercepting and moving the ball. So we, if we're winning in the middle, we're going to be, a, we're going to have the ability to put on a score. If Gold Coast get on top of the middle, we saw, if you watch the, the Sydney and Suns game, Gold Coast won comfortably in those contested situations. But once it got into their forward line, once Sydney were able to intercept, they were able to control the game. If, if you look at the, 
the stats there in terms of uncontested possessions and marks. Sydney just, once Sydney got hold of it, they just controlled it and they were able to move down effectively and efficiently, cut through the Gold Coast zone and then score. So given our, I think our halfback line has the interceptors to do that. And now with players like Langford back there, Redmond with foot skill, and then players like McGrath with pace, I think we can break them open. So I actually think we have two opportunities to win this game. We can win it in the centre, but if we don't win it in the centre, we also have that other opportunity to move the ball on. Because yeah, Gold Coast have put Lukosius down in their forward line, and now they're just a massive massive forward line that doesn't necessarily pressure well and, and allows team to move the ball out. So I think we've got real opportunity to win this game through either facet. I watched a fair bit, probably more of that game than I should have, to be honest. Um, <laughs> uh, and you could tell they were missing someone like Isaac Rankin in terms of the pressure, you know, uh, that he puts on. Um, Nick Holman was sort of one out in the pressure he was giving. And the ball hit the ground and it was just running straight back out. So uh, it'll be interesting to see how we match up. We haven't necessarily got a very tall defense. And so Chol, King, Casbolt, Lukosius, that's a really tall forward line. If they get clean ball going forward, which is probably the key, they're going to be hard to stop. But the, I think you're right. If they get out of the center, making sure they don't just walk it out the front door and that there's heat on it and making sure that we're pressuring the Gold Coast like we pressured Hawthorne, particularly at the back half, um, so that they turn the ball over more in that sort of half you know, the, between the centre line and and true centre half back for us or centre half forward for them is how we're probably going to win the game. I, I think the good teams win off turnover. The majority of their score comes from winning off turnover, and that's where I want to see us capitalise on what we did against Hawthorne. Like you said, intercepting and, and rebounding is what I'm looking for here because I do have, you know, Matt Rowell, Miller, Swallow, Anderson. That's a really tough midfield with lots of contested ball winners. They've got Charlie Constable as well, Alex Davies. We're probably not going to be able to beat them in the clearances, but it's about the heat we put on the football going forward and intercepting, which will be key. And I think I've nailed that there. I've already mooted that I think we might move Phillips out for another key forward, but it would depend on how confident we are with Draper going one out against Wits. What do you, do you see any changes happening this week? Well, I went back and looked at the last time we played the Suns. We actually matched them for the hitouts. So even though Wits tends to dominate teams, so I'm just looking at uh, against Sydney, he, Gold Coast had 56 to 22 hitouts, and and that helped them dominate that inside part of the game. Last time we played them, you know Draper, and I think Phillips is also playing that game match wits output there. So bid on Draper there to, to stand up and be that number one Ruckman against, as you say, probably a top three Ruckman in the competition. In terms of other changes, I think, as I said before, there's a good chance that Guelphy or probably Guelphy or Snelling comes in for Tipper and and maybe Davey moves to the sub. Uh, and then it's a question of whether they think Stringer is ready to go. I think those are the only changes they'll consider. Yeah, that's right. And I, did Phil, did Wits play the last time we played? I thought he was out with an ACL, or maybe that was a different game we played against the Suns. But regardless, yeah, it, even if we have Phillips, it's going to be Draper doing the majority of the ruck work. So we'll see. I know Wits played, I'll take that back. So it'll be interesting to see whether Draper can stand that up and whether the club trusts him to do it. And I think yeah, Snelling or Guelphie, if Guelphie's fit, he was a, he was top five in our best and fairest last year, wasn't he, Matt Guelphie? So yeah. I, I would imagine he probably come in if he's fit, and, and Tipper might be the one that goes. A tip for this weekend, who do you think wins? Uh, I'm going to say Essendon. I'm going to say Essendon by a comfortable margin, four or five goals. 
I'm much less bullish. I think the Bombers might win by two goals. I think the Gold Coast will be smarting and uh, uh, they'll want to come down and make a statement. They don't want to start the season 0-2, <laughs> um, uh, particularly if they lose badly twice, as uh, you prognosticate it might be um, a pretty serious conversation about the Suns. But that's um, probably all we've got time for today. It's been a comprehensive sort of week and, and review of the game. It's been great having your kit, filling in for Bonsa. Um, I'm a bit worried that every time Bonsa doesn't appear, SN wins. So we might have to have the, the hard conversation with Bonsa going forward. <laughs> but um, uh, it's been great having your kit and, and thanks for joining us. As I said before, thanks again for the opportunity to jump back on. It was great to talk about an Essendon win and hopefully next week there'll be another one to talk about. Yeah, oh, that would be great. Starting the season 2-0. and um, If you like Kip's work, he does have a weekly podcast called Don the Stat. Um, I think he tends to post in the game uh, preview thread. So make sure you look out for that. That generally comes out, I think, was it Friday, thursday Thursday. We're doing Thursday this week. Yep, um, Thursday. Um, so uh, keep your eyes out for that. Um, it's a good listen before the weekend. Uh, but otherwise, I uh, hope you've had a good week, Bomber fans. It's good to get a win, and we'll catch you next week. <laughs>